Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Welcome to Connection Point Church, and welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach, Shell and I serve as lead pastors here. So glad you joined us for our Great Awakening series, as we kicked off last week with an awakening to a new beginning. So there are times when I can struggle with negative thinking. I'm out driving, somebody does something they shouldn't, uh, our kids, they're not treating each other the way they should, and, and if I'm not careful, I can really go down that road for a while, so you got to grab that thought and... Take it captive is what we'd find in scripture and then ask the Holy Spirit to redeem that thinking because it's, it's easy to get stuck in that, that kind of thinking. And, and I don't know, you know, how's that for you? Are, do you find yourself sometimes thinking negatively and you just kind of go down that train of thought for a while? You know, uh, maybe people in the store, you know, people in line, you know, they're not doing things right. And I don't know, it, there's lots of things that in your week can kind of take you down that path. But what we find in the passage we're going to be in today is that God has a different way for us, a different way that we're meant to interact, even with our thinking and our thoughts, and, and the benefits that come from doing it God's way. And so we're going to talk a bit about that today and unpack what we find in God's Word. And, and so if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got God's Word. If you're new to Connection Point, we say that because we just want to weekly remind you, we want you daily in God's Word. It, uh, it's a great instruction book for life on how we're meant to live our best life. And so we're going to be in Philippians it's in the back part of your Bible, it's after Ephesians, it's before Colossians, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today, simply to highlight that these are God's words to us, and so we don't take those for granted. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to believers in the ancient city of Philippi, and here's what he tells them. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So last week, as I mentioned, we talked about how Jesus is leading us toward a new beginning as a church. And uh, one of the, there was a couple of words shared this morning, and I talked about having an open heart to new beginnings, to what God wants to do in your life, and what God wants to do in our, our life as a congregation, and, and other churches as well. I shared last week in particular, as it relates to the congregation, that he's leading us toward reproduction and multiplication. Uh, we're a growing church, but not yet reproducing or multiplying, but we're on track to become a multiplying church. Praise the Lord. That's what God wants to do. But now here's the thing, both healthy and unhealthy things have the capacity to multiply. Healthy things grow. My kids are huge now. We've been here four years. Our oldest passed up Shelly this year is a 13-year-old. He's massive. He actually just asked me this last week. He likes to talk to me in the evening times. It's like he's thinking about things. He asked, is it possible to have like a growth spurt where you grow a foot? I see what you're shooting for here, buddy, you know? <laughs> Goodness. So healthy things do grow, but we also know unhealthy things can grow true uh, as well. And in human bodies, what that's called is cancer. Both healthy 
and unhealthy cells have the capacity to multiply in your body. And the same is true within church bodies. Healthy bodies multiply, but so too can unhealthy bodies. So we want to make sure we're a healthy body that multiplies. We want to reproduce health. And in fact, to be part of the next great awakening, I firmly believe people must be healed, be made whole for God to fully use them for his purposes today. I really see that. And our passage today, it helps us see this. It points out that we must renew our minds to be part of the next great awakening. We've got to renew our minds to be part of the next great awakening. In the mid-1990s, a a shift occurred in our nation that we transitioned from a majority Judeo-Christian worldview to a secular worldview. And this shift has caused some interesting challenges for people in life. Uh, Before I talk about the challenges, though, I'd like to define first what is secularism. Maybe you've heard the term. It hasn't really been defined for you to understand what it is. And, And to understand it, we need to talk about the concept of worldviews. Because everyone has a worldview. It's how we decide right and wrong. We determine value. We we respond emotionally to an experience or find purpose and meaning in life. It's the default setting through which each person views and lives in the world. Scripture primarily uses the word heart to express the idea of worldview. So I can illustrate worldview by what we call the ick factor. What people eat around the world is very different. That's why most of the time, if we have a guest come from another part of the world, one of the number one questions is, what have you eaten that's weird? Right? Because we know that exists. You know, one culture will eat dog, another locusts, another fried uh, cheese curds, and another pork tenderloin sandwiches. Which one are you going to eat? We all know the answer to that. The ick response to those foods varies depending on how you were socialized to think and feel about them. There's an automatic heartfelt response to that kind of stuff. And while it applies to food preference, that's just one example, it can also be applied to deeper issues of what constitutes murder, cheating, or even the idea of what makes a good citizen. That varies depending on the culture in which you live. It's what's in our hearts. So a worldview is created through the family that we're born into or maybe raised in, and also the society in which we live. We live and work and play and rarely reflect on why we do what we do. It's because, like an iceberg, most of who we are, it actually lies below the surface. We might not know what lies below, but it still drives who we are and what we do. So when we talk about someone following Jesus, let me tie that into how this ties in to worldviews. And being transformed, that's what it should be. When you follow Jesus, you're meant to be transformed, you're changed. And what changes is our minds. As we receive forgiveness and we turn toward Jesus, as we allow his spirit to rewire our hearts, our worldviews. Your worldview as a kingdom of the citizen and the kingdom of the citizen of God, it should be different no matter what your culture is that you live in. It's meant to be different. Repentance, it actually includes recognizing we're wrong on every level, that we must change our minds, we must receive forgiveness and turn toward Jesus as we allow his spirit to begin to rewire our hearts. In human cultures, they're a mixed bag, just as men and women, they contend with evil, so every culture is broken on every level no matter where you're at in the world. So while we may retain the marks and habits of a particular culture or family, we're actually in a lifelong process. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you're in this lifelong process of having that all redone, allowing Jesus's goodness to correct, to heal, and to renew our desires, our thoughts, our actions, which is all our worldview. So then the question is, well, what's the worldview of the secularist then? So although secularism, it's not a formal religion, you're not going to go attend, you know, first secularist church down the street. 
Secularists do appear to have some common beliefs, traditions, and rituals. They really do. Secularism actually acts a lot like a religion, seeking answers to the big questions of what's real, what's good, who am I? A good working definition of secularism is a society or a worldview in which religion is not at the center of human life. So this means practically that God or religion, it's no longer in the center of the universe, but the human self is in the center. It's the authority. Uh, the prime purpose of secular peoples is to create a good self. You can see all kinds of marketing in our world that points that out. Secularism is all about project self, about becoming the best version of who you can be. I actually heard that line. I was watching a Marvel movie with Nate and, and somebody said in that Marvel movie, I want to help you become the best version of who you are. And I thought, man, that's a great definition of secularism. That's it. Uh, characteristics of secularism include truth is what works. It's personally defined. Meaning and identity, they come through experiences, looking for experiences. Avoidance of pain and the pursuit of happiness, those are the prime objectives. There are purity concerns connected to diet, to the environment, to ethical business. It's a shift from I think to I feel. Uh, here's some examples of statements secularists might make. Maybe you've heard some of these. My, my philosophy is to find what works for me. I want to have a nice life and avoid trouble if I can. Life's about being in the moment. We can't know anything certain about life beyond death. So we must make the most of our own moment and opportunities. Everyone has a different idea of what's right and wrong, a secularist might say. I, I think you have to figure things out for yourself and be comfortable with your own choices. That's what defines our world a bit today. It'd be simple to equate atheism with secularism, but they're not synonyms. Secularists come in lots of forms. Radical atheists like Richard Dawkins, they're actually the minority in this group. They're, they're a small group. Some secularists are actually committed to a religious identity. They could be Catholics or Protestants or Muslims or Jews. All kinds of ways that a person could have that identity, but still the individual self is what drives their choices in life. These individuals think there's many paths to God and that God's an option, but not an obligation. The largest group of secularists are actually spiritual in nature. What makes them secularists is that their spiritual beliefs don't dominate their lives. It's their spiritual beliefs that, that don't necessarily provide a firm guide for behavior or give them something to live for. The individual self still reigns supreme as a moral decider and purpose creator. So it's important as we talk through, why would I define this? Why does this matter this morning? Because we need to understand the society in which we live and the effects it's had on our lives. Because everyone, I want to put before you this morning, everyone in North America has been affected by this. Yeah. You and I, we have been affected by this, absolutely. It's affected our thoughts, our motives, the way in which we choose to live our lives. Uh, some of those examples, if you seek meaning through experience, you've been affected by secularism. If you seek to avoid pain or tragedy through financial security or, or other means, you've been affected by secularism. If church is simply a part of the mosaic of your life, you've been affected by secularism. If you're more concerned with individual rights than kingdom responsibilities, you've been affected by secularism. So let me put before you, it's okay to realize we've all been affected by secularism. But then we need to realize if we've been affected by it, what has been the effects on us? Because here's the problem. Secularism fails us. Yeah. How? Because secularism, here's one way, it's actually anti-relational. Whether in politics, fashion, or lifestyle choices, people live in tribes within our culture. I think you could recognize that. These are subcultures that are self-enclosed worlds, strongly self-reinforced by marketing, 
personalized news and educational systems. You can live in your own world in our culture, your own tribe. But here's the problem. This leads to isolation. Our world is more connected than ever and more lonely than it's ever been. It really is. And secularism also fails the secularists because the power of self, it's finite. We're all finite beings. So when something goes wrong, if you are your own God, that's secularism. Self is at the center. Then in the end, something goes wrong, you're the only one to blame. We can't handle the weight of our own lives. We were never meant to. And what's the result of people trying to live at the center of their own lives? We've seen an incredible increase in mental illness issues. Some of the pastors and I, we met with a a local counseling center a couple of months ago and they shared, they basically came together because of all of the challenges that are facing society today and in particular, where we live right here in Greater Lafayette. But it's a North American problem. You could look at that everywhere. If you look at the news, Center for Disease Control, National Alliance on Mental Illness and the American Psychological Association, there's been a steep rise in mental illness in younger generations, those most susceptible to society shift in worldviews. And there's also a gradual rise in older generations as well. It's affected us all on some level. People increasingly being diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and, and eating disorders. And not necessarily because of choices they've made, but maybe things that have been done to them because of the worldview and because of the environment that we live in. So let me put before you right now, there is no stigma attached to mental illness in this church. So if that's part of what you're dealing with, Jesus, I would put before you, there's hope and healing in Jesus' name. So wherever you find yourself, I want you to understand the reason these things have happened is because of the shift in worldviews in our country. And we need to be okay to recognize those things. Because when you are your own God and you work hard to create your own community, eventually things go wrong for you. Because you are not meant to live for yourself. You're not meant to be your own God. God is meant to be your God. And you're meant to live an authentic Christian community and then develop in your life in Christ that way. Because as we live for God, the Holy Spirit can appropriately adjust our mindsets and renew our minds. The Holy Spirit can prompt us when our thoughts become toxic, and this is important because negative thinking actually causes damage to your physical brain. I don't know if you're aware of that. Dr. Carolyn Leaf in her book, Switch on Your Brain, she talks a lot about this, that our negative thinking actually derails our lives. Our our negative thinking impacts our physical body in very harmful ways. But instead, as we live for God, the Holy Spirit can help us get back on track to focus on whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything worthy of praise, all of these things. You work with the Holy Spirit on this. The Holy Spirit can renew our minds as we take thoughts captive and we reject secularism and its effects on our lives and allow God to make us whole. So I'd like for us to consider this morning, what kind of effect has secularism had on us? Are you more concerned with individual rights? than kingdom responsibilities. If so, it's time to allow God to renew our minds so that we can be part of the next great awakening of the North American church. Because to be a part of that great awakening, we have to allow the Lord to renew our minds. What else we find from our passage? We find from our passage this morning is that we must have healthy leaders to be part of the next great awakening. We've got to have healthy leaders to be part of the next great awakening. After Paul instructs the believers in Philippi to focus on those things that are pleasing to God, He encourages them to take what they've learned, received, heard, and seen in him, and to practice these things. Paul is basically telling these believers to follow his example as he follows Jesus. What a bold statement. Can you imagine telling somebody, follow me as I follow Jesus? But yet that's really what we should be able to say to someone. 
but we've got to find wholeness and health before we can make that kind of statement. But yet we do all have the responsibility to follow Jesus in such a way that others can follow him too. But it starts with leaders. And so that's been, uh, um, I've been thinking about examples of that. I, I was talking with Shelly and remembering back. So Shelly, when our, when our youngest, uh, Lucas, he went back to kindergarten about two years ago. Shelly went back to kindergarten too as a teacher. So as she went back to the classroom, so she'd been at home with our kids for about 12 years. It was a joy. She had taught for a while. She had opportunity to be at home and just invest in the lives of our kids for a while. But as they all went back to school, she wanted to get back in school and, and be involved in community too. But the first fall that she was back to teaching, I got a phone call one day and, and she said, Zach, I'm not doing good. I said, well, Shell, what's, what's going on? And and she said, we had a fire drill. It was a surprise fire drill. And uh, the, the 20 kids, you know, she's responsible for 25-year-olds. And, and one of the girls in particular, she was just screaming in my face and, and absolutely in panic. And I just, I could feel all this well up within me of, of just feeling like, Lord, I, I just don't feel right. And she said, we were able to do the drill. I got the kids out, but then I was able to take them to PE. That's where they were headed next. And, and so I've got kind of, you know, some moments here that I can, I just wanted to give you a call. And, and so I went over and, and, and met with Shelly, but some background, if you don't know Shelly and I's uh, arrival before here at Connection Point, we were overseas, and so although she got to be a stay-at-home mom, she raised our kids in very interesting environments. We took Nate to Sudan when he was one, and we came back to the U.S., and, and then went back overseas, and we had our daughter Haley, Haley with us at that point. She would have been two when we left, and, and then Lucas was born in Jerusalem. But where we lived in Jerusalem was in, in where the, basically right where the, the West Bank, the wall that separates Jerusalem from the West Bank was, was, we could see it from our apartment. We could look right down on a 20 foot razor wire laden wall. So the, the neighborhood we lived in was constantly patrolled by Israeli soldiers. And, and so it was a tense environment to raise small kids. And, and so part of that then, it, it, basically it's like, you feel like you're coping and you feel like you're doing well until all of a sudden something bubbles up and you're like, oh man, there's something there that, that needs to be dealt with. And that's what rose up that day. And uh, an example of Shelly and raising our kids in that environment, she's coming home one day with groceries in the car and, and then she sees as she's about to turn the corner to our apartment, there's a couple of Israeli soldiers and they're like pointing their guns at the wall. And so they're just sitting there. And so Shelly just kind of pulls up and waits. And after a while, she's like, so I kind of need to go around the corner. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. You know, so they just like stand up and like, you know, move her along. And, and then she drives down the street and then they, in a rearview mirror, they're like, jump back down in the wall, you know, just crazy. Like that's not normal living kind of an interesting place to raise small children. I told Shelly when we moved back here, I said, you know, it's going to be really interesting to not have soldiers running through our yard anymore. But I'm very happy not to have soldiers running through our yard anymore. Like, that's a good thing. But that's what bubbled up in her heart that day. And, and basically, you don't know sometimes that something's there until the Lord says, hey, in case you're unaware, this is still here, and I'd like to heal this. I'd like to bring wholeness to your life. And so I said, wasn't it, as I got to go meet with Shelly, I said, wasn't it the provision of the Lord that that fire drill would happen right before you were going to give the, your kids, pass them off to a PE teacher so that you could have a moment to regain your thoughts, put that before the Lord and say, Jesus, I don't want this anymore. I want to be made whole. And never again has that been brought up again in her life. Why? Because first you've got to identify those things for the Lord to bring hope and healing to your lives. The Lord brings leaders through a process of hope and healing because he wants to bring an entire congregation through that process as well. And, and it's been a joy to walk through with our, our pastors and other church leaders as uh, been able to see the Lord do work in their lives, deep work in their lives. Um, so I've actually asked a couple of them to be able to come and share this morning. Pastor Michael, our discipleship pastor, Pastor Mark, our youth pastor, and, and Pastor Jim, our community life pastor. Uh, would you mind to welcome them as they come this morning? 
Hello, I'm Pastor Mark. Say hello, Pastor Mark. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I, uh, I feel like I need to start about five, six years ago. Uh, me and uh, my wife Ashley had just uh, moved back here uh, from Kansas. This is where I grew up, was Lafayette, not West Lafayette. Uh, but grew up in the town and um, was youth pastor. And we moved back here. We really knew God wanted us back um, here in um, the community, but didn't really know what he had for us. And um, to be honest, that first year, um, I had this idea in my mind of, um, I, I loved youth and I wanted to be involved with youth. And so I had this idea of starting um, a program uh, to help transition high school seniors into college and, um, you know, wrote curriculum for it and did all this work for it and, and all these things. And um, that first year worked really hard on it, but didn't see a lot of movement um, really with, with any of it. And um, just uh, uh, was, was praying on, on that side over there. Um, and it was during um, uh, fasting and prayer uh, that, that year that um, I felt like God kind of um, laid on my heart that, and basically told me that, um, you know, I was asking him to be a part of what I wanted to do instead of meeting him where he was working and being a part of what he was doing. And uh, that was not, in, in essence, trying to build my own kingdom and not building his kingdom is another way to say that. And, uh, you know, in that moment, uh, a couple days later, me and Ashley had a conversation about it and just really, you know, in our minds were like, you know what? Yeah, we, that's what we've been doing. We, and so really committed um, that next year to be a part of what God was doing here in the church um, and getting involved with outreach and some of those events and things and just really trying to meet and follow God where he was leading in the church. And so kind of a year went by and interestingly enough during that year, um, was when we were able to adopt our son Samuel. And so he was kind of part of that journey of just kind of following God. And then uh, the next year during fasting and prayer, um, I was worshiping once again on that side over there. So we did identify in the first service. If you want to hear from God, apparently you should go over there. Just come talk to me. I'll point you to the chair over there that you need to sit in. And uh, no, but um, was on that side and, and during worship. And once again, um, just really felt like God asked me, um, you know, what are, what are you willing to give up? You know, do you really surrender? Are you really willing to follow me? And, um, you know, to, I said yes in that moment. To be honest, that, that's, that wasn't an easy ne uh, yes for me. Um, I didn't mention this first service, but I was in real estate at the time. And honestly, the career was taking off. Things were going really well. And um, just really, um, it was a hard, kind of a hard yes. But I said yes in that moment and just surrendered and said, God, whatever whatever you want me to do. Later that night, uh, we received a phone call from Pastor Zach and Shelly asking us to be youth pastors here at Connection Point Church. And we stepped into that just saying, God, we surrender. And really that, I, I, the last, that, that first year and a half, we were part-time and the last year we've been uh, full-time in those three, these three years. I can't tell you that they've all been these awesome mountaintop experiences every moment and it's been smooth sailing. Um, but what I can tell you is to live in surrender is the place to be. To just say, God, it's not about building my kingdom, it's about building your kingdom. I wanna follow you in where you're working and not where I want you to bless me in my areas. It's been such a joy. And so, yeah, that's my journey up Thanks to this point. Mark. 
Well, I, I, I'm a little bit older than Mark, and so I'm going to go back a, a little bit farther. We'll let the old man on the end go way back. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, honestly, like Mark, like, like Jim, like Zach, you know, all of us, we're all pastors, and, and we've all had a, a call in our life. And, and I, I'll sit here and tell you, you guys know I've, I've been a pastor here just for a couple years, but I, I've known since I was 18 years old. You know, I, I could tell you the spot in the church, in the service, what night, who was speaking, you know, how it was confirmed that God said, I, I want you, I want you to give up your life. And I, you know, I, I started down that road and wouldn't, you know, I got hurt. Um, we got hurt pretty bad. Uh, and I got mad and I decided to do things on my own. And so I stepped out of what God wanted to have. And, you know, Zach talked about in the definition of secularism, I knew it was all on me. And so I went out to go build careers. Now, church was still important to me, you know, and, and God was still important to me, but, you know, I was building my kingdom. And God gave me the opportunity to run out of me. And it wasn't that business went badly. It's that I ran out of having enough of me. In fact, business went really well. I didn't have one company. I had two that we started, you know, and that we're growing all over and just crazy from starting up to 10 employees to 40 to 100 to owning a building on downtown, on the circle downtown. And it was, it was crazy. But one night after being gone for about three weeks, you know, back to back where I fly out late Sunday night, you know, come back, you know, whenever I walked in the door and our kids didn't flinch. They're sitting here looking at me. <sighs> they didn't flinch. You know, and so I, I tried to be super dad. You know, I'm, I'm going to be involved, you know, help with dinner. I help with, with, with bath time and got them in bed and read them their Jesus story. And something just wasn't right. And so Shanna, who you all know, my lovely wife, um, she's a powerhouse. You better watch it. Um, I walked upstairs and, and to our room and she was folding laundry. And this is where all adult conversation, we have kids, that's when, you know, you can actually talk, the kids are in bed, and, and uh, you know, I wanted to be super husband. I had run out of me, and uh, tried to have a conversation while we're folding laundry, and I, I, I know, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, she looked at me and said, what you're doing is wrong. I'm like, what are you talking about what I'm doing is wrong? She's like, you're trading today for tomorrow, you know, and if I know you, tomorrow's never going to come. And you got one shot at being a husband and dad, and you're blowing it. What about this calling that you have on your life? I wish I could tell you that I was sanctified enough in that moment to have repented right away. That didn't happen. And I could tell you lots more about that. We just did not get along for a little while. And uh, the reality is she was right. And so I stepped out of one company. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll still control a little bit. And then our biggest client left and my partners decided to do some things and I realized I had to leave. And so I ended up completely unemployed without any companies with no real future driving home from Tennessee on I-65. And I was like, now this is a, almost a decade ago now. I'm like, okay, well now would be a good time to pray. And so I turned on, you know, Pandora and put on some worship music and there was a new, you know, fun version of I Surrender All, you know, and I'm singing along. We all know the song, I Surrender All. And I heard the Holy Spirit said, do you really? 
And I said, yeah. I got nothing else to lose. I surrender all. And I hear the Holy Spirit, are you sure? I think so. And the third time, I surrender all, all to him, all to Jesus. He's like, do you really? I'm like, no, Lord, I don't. But I want to. And I prayed. I mean, for the first time in a long time, I prayed in the spirit. And I surrendered everything. And he said, well, what about your family? <sighs> yeah. What about your sense of safety? Yeah. What about your hopes and dreams? Yeah, I'm done building the kingdom of me. I surrender that too. And it was at that moment that God started to pull out all of the things, all of the hurt, my excuses for not doing what he wanted to do instead of working on, you know, Project Michael. And I, like Mark, I can't say that this last decade has been all mountaintop experiences because it hasn't. Uh, for some reason, God has put us back in business where we own companies. For some reason, in a company that was losing money and told me to sit still. Are you kidding me? Okay, Lord, we'll obey. But he's used everything over and over and over again to pull out any piece that didn't reflect him and replace it with himself. And it's just been amazing. And so these guys show up. You, you notice they showed up like, what, four years ago? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, in any good church, it's about this time of year. It was four years ago. You mm -hmm. called me up and you're like, hey, Michael, you do sound and stuff at the church. Can you help me put a TV in for our, our Super Bowl party? And so, Zach, having lived overseas, had, I think, a hammer. And it wasn't even a 16-ounce framing hammer. It was like the cute one from the kit from Walmart. <laughs> and a pair of pliers. And I'm like... So we're going to go back to my house and actually put things together and then take it back. And so I finally got to connect with somebody who also had a heart to see people change for Jesus. And we just, we talked and, we, we, and I'm like, this is what God's been doing. And a couple of days later, I just vomited. It just came out like, hey, uh, I have this calling on my life and this is what God is wanting me to do. And, and he's like, well, walk with me. Yeah, he really did say, kind of follow me like I'm following Jesus. And so I, I, I could go on and on and on and on. But then about two years ago, he said, hey, Michael, I see what God's doing in your life. And I see what he's calling you to do. And we need that here. Will you join us? And so I said, yes. So now here I sit as the discipleship pastor, all because God let me run out of me. All right, so the old guy, I'll go way back to 63. <laughs> when, when my worldview started to get uh, formed, you know, pastor was talking about worldview, and mine was shaped and formed by, uh, you know, as a male living in an uh, Irish Catholic home, and my dad had 12 brothers and sisters, and it was just expected that if you were a guy, you, you, you were very... You didn't have emotion. You didn't show emotions. You were strong. You, you know, were, you know, there was a lot of sternness in our home. And, you know, these guys were supposed to be strong and steady and, you know, tough and all that kind of stuff. And that was just kind of what was expected. So I kind of grew up with the idea that any kind of display of any kind of emotion was, you know, a weakness to some degree. 
And so, you know, I kind of grew up with that a little bit on uh, worldview from, or that from my dad. And then, and then uh, really, um, my mom really shaped and put something in me that I think my family would recognize that they, they typically will say that it's to a fault, but I'm considerate to a fault, that I'm overly considerate. It's like, will you stop already? So I get that. And so, you know, you kind of couple those things with, you know, as a dad, as a grandpa, as a husband, uh, as a minister, you know, it just, it's in me to just, you just want to take care of people and make sure everybody's okay. And, and, you know, and so there, there's lots of needs that you, you see in 35 years of ministry, you see a lot of, uh, people's lives and you see all kinds of things that are good, the bad, the ugly, you see it all. And you just kind of take care and you listen and you just take care of people and your family. And so I just kind of have grown up where you just kind of you know, I, I just don't deal with those. If, if there's something that I'm feeling, what's that have to do with anything? You know, if, if there's things that I'm experiencing, I just, you just kind of suppress that. And, you know, those are, those are just emotions. We just, you know, we just don't deal with that. We just kind of soldier on and you muscle through it and you just take on life, you know. And so that's not a really good cocktail. You know, it's just, it just kind of, as Pastor was mentioning, the iceberg, you know, it's just, there's... <laughs> It's the tip of the iceberg, and there's a lot of stuff down underneath. And I think it really all came to a head, or it, it, I recognized that more when my brother and sister passed away five years ago. And in the middle of all of that, uh, you know, I had to do the funeral for my brother and my sister. And, you know, I just kind of I went through it. You know, I was the strong one, every, you know, and just kind of did it. And the emotion of it, didn't hit me till months and months later. And that's when I just realized that, you know, I just don't do, I, have, I hadn't been doing good with taking care of those things and, and, and knowing how to deal with them and being healthy in that way. I just kind of, I just thought that being quiet about it and just caring for others and loving others, that's, that's the way you deal with it. And so I just wouldn't deal with it. Not that, you know, and so uh, I, I'm thankful that now I'm in a place and surrounded by a great group of people that I, that I get to minister with and, and my wife and who really helped me to, um, you know, I, th I, th I would say that the, since then that I've been able to do better about dealing with Jim and dealing with those things. And cause I really don't honestly don't talk a lot. Uh, when we're in a family and group setting, I'm usually the one just kind of watching and listening. And so I've been able to get to that place where I can be a little bit more honest and deal with things. And so um, and I'd like to be able to say, hey, you know, just all the Lord just, there it is. But I believe that it's, I know that there's more yet. I know that there's this process and this journey the Lord has me on to say, hey, you, get, you, have, to, you have to deal with everything that's there. You, you know, you can't just kind of push it down, muscle on, soldier through it. The Lord wants, he, he will do, all, you know, he'll bring all kinds of things in your life to, to surface those so that he can keep you healthy. And so that's kind of where I'm at on my journey It's just, Lord, keep me healthy and keep me talking about things, you know, these things so that I can really walk completely whole before him. That's good. Can we thank our pastors for sharing this morning? So it really has been neat to see what the, the Lord's been doing in leaders' lives, and not just pastors. Uh, it, would be, it would extend far beyond that with other church leaders as well, but really for the purpose of helping prepare us for the new beginning he wants for us. He's been bringing healing and wholeness to, to leaders' lives um, to help us do that work. And, 
God's been doing that good work in, in us and he desires to do it in all of us. That's God's heart because we should be able to tell others, follow me as I follow Jesus, but we must first become whole to really make that happen, which is the last point this morning is that we must become whole to be part of the next great awakening. We all must. We all must become whole to be part of the next great awakening. The promise of Paul to the believers at Philippi is that if they renew their minds, if they focus on whatever is true, honorable, just, and worthy of praise, if they take what they've learned and seen in Paul and practice these things, then the God of peace will be with them. What a promise. The biblical word for peace is rooted to the Hebrew word shalom, which is best translated as wholeness. As we renew our minds and practice the way of Jesus, God brings wholeness to our lives. And this is actually the opposite result of what it is to live like a secularist. Because if your life seems crazy and out of control, almost chaotic, it's because you have yet to find the wholeness offered in God. A life in Jesus is whole, a life informed by secularism is not. So then what do we do with that? The question is how do we step into the wholeness that we're offered in Jesus? And that's a question our church leaders started asking on the later half of last year. And as God is doing a deep work in all of our lives, knowing he wants to do it in all of our lives, how can we all step into that new beginning that God has for us? Before arriving to Connection Point, I had a friend recommend a book to me, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I read it. It was wonderful. Um, began applying some of those principles to my life. And I actually used some of the content of that for our first Friday men's prayer when we had that a couple of years ago. And, and then I asked Pastor Michael, our discipleship pastor, they had come up with a small group series for it. Could he review that, see if we could use that here? And, and so he and Shanna said that they were going to go ahead and run with that. So last fall, they ran Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this spring, they're right now doing Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And it's been amazing to see the fruit of those groups as they've met and entered into a process of finding the wholeness that Jesus offers us. It's been incredible and we're thankful. And then last October as our church, so we host a a statewide minister's conference. So this room is filled with pastors and we had Peter Scazzaro come, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So he shared his story. He's a pastor of a church in New York. And he basically began to share with us how God's been using that in his church to bring wholeness so that it extends far beyond their church community too. And uh, so I went out to lunch with Peter just to ask him a bit more about that. And and so it's been a 20-year journey, he shared, of them walking that out and seeing God do some extraordinary things. Because God wants to bring people to wholeness all across our country. He really does. Because that's the promise we have of transformation. People who can then say, follow me as I follow Jesus so that we don't live those chaotic lives, but whole ones instead. And so we just need to live it out. So what we've talked through is we were working and preparing for this series and heading into the future of the church and new beginning. Uh, our desire was to go ahead next fall that we want to run, run a church-wide connect group series on emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships so that we all enter into a space where we allow the Holy Spirit. And that's what it is. We just partner with the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, Bring those things to the surface that you want to heal and make right so that I can be made whole. And so next year, we would love to invite everyone to walk through that process together. That right now we've got 50 leaders preparing to be able to be leaders of those groups that will offer them all throughout the week. And we'd love for you to be a part. I want you to know your church has leaders that are growing more healthy and who want to see us all become whole so that we might be part of the next great awakening of the North American church. And then the question just is, will you be a part? Will you sign up for Connect Groups this fall as we launch those things, as we look to find wholeness that we're offered in Jesus? 
We begin to make preparations now. That would be my encouragement to have the margin to be a part of a Sunday morning and a connect group at some point in the week. Because it takes time to create that margin. And why does this matter? Because we must become whole to be a part of the next great awakening. Once you know God is awakening the church to the understanding we need to be healed from the effects of our culture and our lives. Now, I would say this, you know, we don't want to make you wait. So it's January. And I'm saying wait till August. No, don't wait till August. I would encourage you, if you want to enter into that space from now, Dr. Carolyn Leaf's book, Switch on Your Brain, is a wonderful book that leads you through the process of renewing your mind. So feel free to pick that up and start working through that process. But I also want you to know we're going to close today in prayer that we have asked some of our church leaders to come and be prepared to pray with you because we know the healer's in the house today. So if you're in need of physical healing, you need to be able to come forward for prayer. If you're in need of emotional healing, you can come forward for prayer. If you're in need of mental healing, healing in relationships, healing spiritually. Have you never made a decision to follow Jesus, but today's your day because your healing starts there. Wherever you find yourself today, we want you to experience the healing that Jesus offers. How much more peaceful could your home life be if you worked with the Holy Spirit to find wholeness in your life? How much better could your relationships be with others if you entered into the peace of God? It truly is God's desire to heal your hearts. You gotta hear that this morning. So will you allow him? I will say, as Shelley pointed out, you know, it starts as a process where you're like, ugh, I don't like what that feels like. But in the end, you've gotta see it to then find freedom and victory from it. So wherever you find yourself today, we want you to be able to experience healing in Jesus' name. I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're gonna close in song here in a moment. I'm gonna invite those who we've asked to join us to to serve as prayer partners this morning. If you wanna come and fill up the front of the sanctuary today, there's gonna be people here ready to pray with you. And they are desiring that you find healing today, that you walk out of here whole. So where do you find yourself today? Are you ready to experience healing? About a month ago, I preached a message on fasting. And in preaching that message on fasting, I spoke from Isaiah uh, 58 uh, about God's chosen fast. And so what I want to remind you of a couple of the verses that are there in that passage that I shared, because a lot of us have been a part of fasting for, we talked about starting the year in 21 days of prayer and fasting. So we started with some prayer meetings on the front end of the year. Now we'll finish the fast on Wednesday. So we're in the middle of it. And here's what I'm believing this morning as we talk about this fast. Here's what Isaiah writes. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. You're meant to experience freedom today in Jesus' name. And here's what he says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily, it says. So we're just gonna be believing as we close in song, if you're in need of prayer this morning and want to experience healing, come down and meet with somebody. Shelly and I will be down here too, that we just wanna pray with you and ask that God bring hope and healing to your lives. But let's go ahead and sing and come forward for prayer.